Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Hello. Hi, welcome back. Are you talking to me or are you talking to them? Everyone. Okay. Everyone listening, you, welcome back. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, my throat hurts a little oh, bit. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, I wanted to tell you about a new story I saw in the news. Yes. There was a story about the International Justice Mission. Mm. IJM. They are a charity and they do work on human trafficking in Ghana. And Sounds like a very noble endeavor so far. Indeed. Um, but there was a story about how they had taken children from their parents who actually were not being trafficked. Oops. And so they had, for whatever reason, thought that they were being trafficked, take them away from their parents. And some of the parents had even been prosecuted. Were they then not themselves trafficking those children wow yeah <laughs> but i think it's really interesting about like and we've often talked on this podcast about the role of non-governmental organizations and how they often take the role of the government or social services or you know other health institutions that are meant to be operating right and so i think this is a really scary example of how that organization stepped into that role and made horrific decisions capacity replacement indeed and um, but anyway i feel like this is a topic we should pick up at some point in the future so get ready you motherfuckers because we're doing an episode on it yeah we'll dive into that scene and if you are a human trafficker working for the international justice mission come on down and chat to us yikes why are you so scummy <laughs> okay scary 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 world and um, but i did want to before we move on wait to- you know that reminds me of everybody needs to go and check out that video of Lindsay lohan doing something very similar where she thinks like this kid is being trafficked and they're with their parent or something and like the mum just beats the shit out of her go check that out online oh that is scary i don't know if i ever heard of that scary but hilarious yikes (laughs) um before we move on to uh today's topic which i believe is a continuation of conflict sensitivity um i just want to very quickly read out a question or a comment from a listener um who said how come the international development sector is so full of toolkits um and (laughs) is this in response to the fact that you can name 60 toolkits (laughs) yeah i think that might be it um but i thought it was a very funny question because they're absolutely right all we do is what produce toolkits yes in fact we are producing a toolkit now How shame, many kits have shame, you got? Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> so I just thought that was a very um, good reflection on us and what we talk about and what we're doing. I, I don't think we produce toolkits. I think we produce things that we believe are going to make people's lives easier, but they don't. The okay. fundamental toolkit is something you open. Have you ever had a toolkit? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've seen my dad's. Okay. Well, so as a lesbian woman, I have had many toolkits. Mm-hmm. It is a thing you open. There are many different tools in there for lots of different things. Okay. So why do we need like 10 toolkits then? Why can't we just have one with conflict sensitivity, gender, everything in it that we need? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you just need one toolkit and it should have a bunch of different things in it that you can pick up for the appropriate activity. Okay, okay. There will be some basic things in there. Every toolkit must have a hammer. Every toolkit must have a flathead and a Phillips screwdriver. Mm-hmm. Some basic stuff. There's a lesson in here for all of us. There you go. And then you can add your variations depending on the types of things that you do. If you've got like IKEA based activities in your life, then maybe you want a bunch of different sized hex keys. But if you're doing, if you're like a a whittler and you're whittling spoons. What's a whittler? Somebody who like shapes wood. Okay. With sharp things. Then you probably would have other stuff. Contextually specific tools, but basically (laughs) it all sits within the same thing. (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe we're just missing a really nice box. We just don't quite have the apparatus to put everything in. Well, there's the thing is you can have really enormous tool kits. <laughs> I used to have a really enormous one that had like six different rows and like 20 different drawers. Wow. Had wheels. That's fancy. Yeah, it was very fancy. Clear lessons. things you don't know about me. <laughs> Clear lessons for the sector here, I feel. Anyway, so that's why, because we haven't figured out a way to harmonize all of those things. And, and because everybody together. wants to be the one who swings their big toolkit around, we don't look at what other people are doing and try to incorporate that. We always think that we're reinventing the wheel or that we can do it better. So we start again, as opposed to thinking about what already exists and building on those things. Maybe we should start a hashtag called like hashtag one toolkit or like <laughs> one toolkit to rule them all. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out. Like new yeah, campaign but, coming your way. But you know, some motherfucker will like end up with a, an Excel spreadsheet with like 800 <laughs> tabs. Yes. And then they'll come back to this episode and blame us. Yeah. That's true. But maybe we should copyright that. Copyright, copyright. Hashtag one toolkit. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag one toolkit for all. Okay. Cool. Anyway, um, we are continuing our conversation today on conflict sensitivity. So enjoy the rest of the episode and we will be back next week. Yes, we will. Catch you later. Bye. Bye. One of the other things I did, did want to raise was, it's kind of what you said earlier about who is working on conflict sensitivity. How are they working on conflict sensitivity? This idea that there are toolkits that exist. People are not looking at other people's sources. You yeah. know, let's understand because one of the things or one of the harms that could be caused is when you are duplicating work of somebody else and or, you know, you're deciding to deliver something here and another organization is delivering something and you're not talking to each other. Maybe you've even selected the same community, but how would you know? If I was a donor, I mean, it's been a while since I've interacted with donors in this way, but if I was a donor, I'd be really fucking pissed off if there were multiple donors in the same area, multiple different organizations or consortia in the same area and they weren't interacting with each other. Yeah, that'd be, yeah. I'd be fucking pissed. That's not good value for money. Yeah, I'd be well annoyed. But I guess this is what the cluster system is about, the United Nations cluster system. But the clusters are thematic. What if you got cross-thematic clusters? Yes, that I don't know. But also, does the government not have a role in organizing and coordinating? In the contexts we're describing? Probably not. <laughs> anyway, um, so... There Plus that coordinating function... No, because they're going to be like, cool, yeah, come and do your context analyses 50 different times because every single time I'm going to get a per diem, I'm going to get to go to a meeting, I'm going to da 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 like, like you can build industries off of people engaging with not-for-profit organizations. Do I think that's necessarily wrong? No, I think it's like payback time. But from an, an efficiency perspective, it's not massively great because you're probably just collecting very similar information with slight variations. Just use each other's shit. Like, why isn't there just a, you know what we should do? We should just create like a master database. Yeah, go on. Okay, no point to your fucking screen. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. All right, tell me about this thing you've got on your screen. Okay, Search for Common Ground used to have something called the DME, Design Monitoring and Evaluation Conflict Sensitivity Platform. Did you ever know that um, what platform? No. And they used to have, like, on Thursday lunchtimes, people would talk about conflict sensitivity, peace, conflict-related work. It's like a platform for people, organizations working on conflict, peace, and sure. 
um, conflict sensitivity. And it, I was very, very resourceful. Um, and so that's now evolved to something called Connects Us. Mm-hmm. And it's a platform that promotes collaboration across peace building and conflict sensitive work, sensitivity work. And they have a collaboration map, which is crowdsourced. So you can go in and you can add your own projects onto the map to show where you're working on projects relating to conflict sensitivity, peace and so on. Can it be anything? I don't know what the criteria is. Because if we're talking about conflict sensitivity being a non-thematic thing, then that's not particularly helpful. I mean, it it says conflict sensitivity and integration is one of the themes. COVID-19, health, democracy and governance, freedom of belief. So yeah, it does seem like it's every kind of thing. Okay. So then you can go on and, and sort of post where you're doing that work. And you can see on the left-hand side, organizations that have already added their work. Okay. But anyway, I thought it was quite... I'm looking at that map and there don't appear to be a lot of arrows. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe the crowdsourcing hasn't quite picked up yet. We've evaluated projects in multiple of these areas and I don't see them on those lists. Yeah. So we need to spread the word on this thing. Yes, I think it'd be a good idea if we were crowdsourced on here. Okay. Should we have them on to describe? Yes. Let's invite Connexus on to tell us more about their work. So is that separate from Search for Common Ground? I believe so, Yeah. So just kind of picking up on that challenge of like coordination and collaboration. Okay. Obviously, I think that these maps are cool. The limitation being that like civil society organizations are probably not featuring. Should we talk maybe about some strategies for effective conflict sensitive practice? Yes. What are some good strategies? Get your stakeholders involved. Yes. Number one. So involving communities, other stakeholders, partners in the planning, design, implementation of activities. Doing that is going to make sure that you've got contextual relevance and responsiveness to people's needs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've got that kind of wide perception of stakeholders as a necessary. necessary. Yeah, but we've also got that thing there around considerations for people's time. If you've got multiple organizations doing stakeholder engagement, people might be tired. Yeah, that's true. Again, everyone is operating in in a conflict in or around a particular conflict. Yeah. The other one I think is important is like the engagement with authorities on it, if they exist. Um, And I think there's something here about being sensitive to the relationship and power that governments have over citizens. Someone has a heavy footfall. Indeed. Because, you know, as a non-governmental organization, you're there on their agreement to be there. And so like there's got to be a role in making sure that it's not undermined in terms of who's involved and what and the capacities that are also available. Mm. Um, so I think that there is, has to be a real, and this is conflict sensitivity on the, the, the level of relationships with authority holders. This is the argument for the liberal world order, right? Like socializing wayward countries. So it's a good opportunity to bring in authorities, regardless of what they might be up to, to engage them in dialogue, I would imagine. And that's quite good. Yeah, I agree. And private sector as well. Yeah. So I think we've already touched on this, but but integrating conflict sensitivity throughout your project cycle at every single stage, um, you know, you've got to stop, pause and say, OK, so how could we be causing harm here? How can we be reducing negative impact? Yeah. You know, even as far as budgets, for example. Cute. Sorry? You're talking about budgets. You're using my love language. Okay, tell me about conflict-sensitive budget. (laughs) 
I hate you. Well, I would see a conflict sensitive budget, making sure that resources are allocated in a way that's not going to exacerbate conflict, right? If what you've done is you've budgeted all your meetings using the same meeting hall or meeting room or whatever, that is directly contributing funds to the community that's attached to that center. So you're injecting funds there, which may alienate another community. So thinking about like the distribution of your budget, or for example, some of the places that we've done projects, you'll buy like um, consumables for meetings and focus group discussions or whatever. Who you buy that from matters. So thinking about the way that your budget is allocated and that it's evenly distributed. I mean, I think also like if you're working with the partners and stuff as well, right? Like how that's distributed. Oh, sure. Oh, like if you're um, sub-granting. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's because you may not necessarily know the relationships that exist or the power that exists within civil society as a whole. Yeah. Like civil society organizations are also not a monolith. Nope. So, you know, there is also power there. And that's really tricky because you can't just be like, oh, we'll, we'll evenly distribute funds. Yeah, exactly. Because that looks different. I can't give 10 grand to an organization with six people and 10 grand to an organization with 60 people. I suppose that why it has to be, that's why it has to be needs based. Sure. You know, you're, you're selecting based on evidence. So your budget needs to be evidence based. Which is part of your value for money work, people. So do it anyways. <laughs> evidence based decision making. Did you try and trick me with that question? No. Good. You wait until the people write in next week then. <laughs> okay, what else? Capacity strengthening. Because I think there are a lot of different considerations and a lot of different people at all levels of organiz- an organization need to have a shared understanding of what conflict sensitivity is. So yeah, thinking about what it looks like for everyone and coming to a shared understanding because it's complex. It can be complex and it requires a lot of different anticipatory behavior. So... I think that anticipatory behavior is really key and that's where the scenario planning comes in, which I think is like really good. I'm really pro scenario planning. I really wanted to do it in m and when I used to back, back when I used to work for organizations. You work for an organization now. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I own one. You though. own one. Yes. I just really like the idea of scenario planning in terms of like um, what could happen or not happen. Okay. Should we do a scenario planning risk management crossover? Yeah, sounds good. Dueling banjos. Well, another kind of sidestep here is like bringing awareness to the fact that things that you do and say can be misinterpreted. Why are you looking at me like that? Hello. <laughs> no, but I mean like, for, so for example, like a lot of people might put out messaging on radios or sure. other mediums and that can be misinterpreted by certain people and in some cases co-opted. Yes. So I think there is also an awareness within conflict sensitivity of any language, any messaging that you're putting out there. Even what your organization is doing has the potential to be misinterpreted and rumors spread. But that I think that's something that like organizations uh, will, at least from our experience, have a harder time having control over mm. the perception of what their organization is doing yeah, and, and how you kind of influence or change that. It's not that they don't have control over it. They just don't invest enough time in managing that message, right? Like you approach it like a public relations strategy. Mm. You build buy-in, you build coalitions, you incentivize participation and engagement. 
there was an, um, an incident where an organization had a campaign around superheroes and mines and like that superheroes would be able to take away the mines or whatever for kids like for children's risk education i see where this is going it makes and me feel so, sick and so children thought that they could meet their superheroes by going to the mines <laughs> so like you know there's this is a really good example of a misinterpretation right you know thinking that like it would make the messaging more child friendly actually was interpreted entirely differently yeah and in an unexpected way yes so i would call that an unintended negative consequence 100 percent. that's very very scary and so um that is often used in exam in, in an example in the mine action sector when developing mine risk awareness activities what not to do Another one I wanted to mention was exit planning. Oh, gosh. Um, which I feel like it's a really obvious strategy, but we've come across organizations that you know haven't you are. done exit strategy, exit planning. For me in the past, this was also something that came up a lot where organizations just left, you know, like mm-hmm. the program's done. I remember um, evaluating one particular, doing some research from a particular organization in South Sudan. They hadn't really got an exit strategy and their office was closing down as tents, it was a nice big office and me and another researcher stayed there to do this research and on one day there was 10 tents on the next day there was only seven <laughs> we're like okay where is it where is it going and they were like oh don't worry about it and i'd printed some stuff that day in their office the next day there were no printers in the office <laughs> and i was like Mm, what's happening <laughs> yeah so you know this kind of like also what they're leaving behind sure. what that means yeah you know there was no exit strategy it was just just doing some kind of evaluation there but you know everything was folding and you yeah. know you have to have a strategy for distributing the things that remain like yeah it makes me wonder like shouldn't every ngo or non-governmental organization international non-governmental organization have like a 20-year exit plan oh from exiting the world yeah yes basically in 20 years we're going to exit the planet because, because like if that was let's say let's say your strategy your 20-year strategy the end goal was to not exist anymore wouldn't you operate differently but your assumption is that people have this goal i know no, I know. I, I, I know they don't. We have that goal. I know they don't. But let's say that, that that was your goal. You'd operate differently. I think, at least in my head, I think we'd be more agile. We'd be more risk-taking. We'd be more creative because there's a point in which we're, we're really aiming to not exist. But this is... In order to get there, you know? I guess this is the assumption that you believe you can have a substantive impact on the thing that you're trying to change. So, for example, if you're an organization and your whole purpose is about malnutrition in children do you think that in 20 years you'd be able to achieve that Mm. so yes you potentially would do it differently if you thought that you substantively positively impact malnutrition in children you would operate differently but i just don't think people one want to divest from this machine two believe that they can have that kind of impact so what we really need is, you know, sometimes when you go to a museum... But if you don't think you'd, you'd have that kind of impact, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, you must do. You know, when you go to a museum and sometimes there's like an earthquake museum or volcano and there's like a 3D display and you press a button and lights come on to show you something and you don't press the... And then you turn the button off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. And this has been the journey to transformation. I'm Tia. Who <laughs> do you know what I mean? Kind of. You press a button and like lights come on and show you like a map across maybe a 3D image or whatever. Okay. I think we need that where like you can press the button and see where all the INGOs are and what their impact is, but then turn it off so you can see if they really are necessary. Oh, you know, there's a play about this. Um, I forget who the author is, but the play is called A Day Without a Mexican. Oh, and it basically goes through a day in America, or maybe it's more specific, maybe it's like California or something like that, where all the Mexicans are gone. Yeah, I think you've mentioned and this so before. And so like the restaurants, agriculture, everything just collapses. Yeah, this is exactly it. Yeah, mm. that's exactly what I want to do. So I think we've covered lots of areas on conflict sensitivity. Yeah. Do you feel that it's a concept that it will evolve even more? I don't want it to evolve much more because I feel like it should do what it says on the tin. Okay. That's it. Be yeah. sensitive to conflict. Don't that you make can it cause. worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there is a really good point there in terms of like people also tend to be quite externally focused. And so coming back to the definition, it's not just about what's happening in the co- in that particular country in terms of dynamics, actors, drivers, root causes. It's also about as an organization, what that your role is in that. Sure. Like you're in that space now. You're in yeah. that system, whether you would like it or not. You're an actor in a conflict dynamic. Exactly. Which also then brings into question many things around neutrality and partiality but stay tuned i think that coming back to that definition it's really important to remember that it's just also about the organization's interaction with it too are we coming back to my original premise of how to do this work which is don't be a dick i think that's that's it i don't know why we have to call it conflict sensitivity but whatever (laughs) (laughs) don't be a dick is the do no harm 2.0 yes probably probably um again listeners please feel free to write into us if you have any thoughts comments we'd love to hear from you and i think that's it from us all the resources will be available in the show notes indeed i'm lauren i'm dear and this is the journey to transformation bye bye Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.